Welcome to another episode of the My Creative District podcast, where we discuss how to channel your creative power into building the life you want, building the business you want, and making the impact you want. We believe creatives can live out a passionate and fulfilled life when they completely embrace their unique design and purpose. Want to turn your passion into profit? Stay tuned to hear from industry professionals, paradigm shifters, and world changers who have done just that and live it every day. This is the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Hey guys, today I am interviewing Neil Hobson and Neely Time, and uh, we're going to be discussing a message of hope and discovering your purpose, not just the what but the why. But before I get into that, I want to remind you that My Creative District and Worldwide Dance Challenge has reopened enrollment into the Worldwide Dance Academy. And if you know anyone that would be interested in learning how to dance from instructors across the world, have them visit WorldwideDanceChallenge.com slash academy to learn more. So what's up, everybody? Again, my name is Jesse Paul Smith, and I'm here interviewing Neely Time. And, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a it's an awesome honor to have you on, man. And I know that uh, you know Neil, you are a DJ, you're a, a radio show host, you're a choreographer, creative director, and you've gone from you know performing on small stages in in front of ten people to arenas of thousands. And so uh, you've worked with some some big names and worked with a lot of people. And so I'm super excited to to talk with you about you know, this message of finding your purpose and really discovering your why. And, uh, and so, you know, before, before we, before we get started though, I just kind of want to put into context a little bit about, uh, who you are and where it all got started. So, so tell me, tell me like, what was it like growing up for the eight-year-old version of Neil Hobson? Wow. Eight-year-old version. Well, first, Jesse, thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Uh, you know, allowing, having this platform to allow people to, like you said, not only discover the what, but the why. And uh, it really is an honor and a privilege to be here. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, um, you know, when I was younger, you know, I wasn't really into dance that much. I was um, more so just trying to figure things out. I was into tennis. A lot I was into sports, you know, playing, you know, soccer and basketball, football. And tennis is kind of what we landed on. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, so through that, actually, that's kind of where I discovered a, a love and a, and a, I don't know, a thing for dance because we go to these tournaments uh, in Indiana, this big, where everybody comes from around the nation and plays the tournament. And then they would have like these dance parties, you know, uh, on the off night. So we would go and we would like team up like city against city. It was, it was a battle, which I didn't even know it, you know, city against city it was us against Chicago. And uh, that's where I learned to dance from these guys. That, that some of us still dance with right now to this day. And uh, that's where I, the, you know, found that passion. Like, you know, this is cool. This is this is, is different than, you know, sports, but it still requires athleticism and focus and training. But uh, that's kind of where I started, and then it evolved through high school of, you know, uh, the boy band era where you have the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. That was my group oh, right yeah, there. So, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at MTV TRL and trying to get the video when it drops and I can get the choreo and we'll do it for the girls at high school and stuff like that. So that's kind of where, <laughs> you know, it, it evolved. And then once I started seeing that uh, it was a gift, not just something, it's not just a hobby. That's when I kind of developed to something more where I could, you know, monetize it and uh, help other dancers and choreographers 
create a passion and uh, create income. I, I got to say this. It's, it's, I've talked to a lot of people about their dance journey or their entrepreneur journey or whatever. I have talked to nobody that said my dance journey started by me playing tennis. Like that is definitely a unique, yeah. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, yeah, so I, I needed to work on my footwork. So they stuck me in dance class. No, you're going to these tennis tournaments and finding dancers. I think that's crazy. That's crazy. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? I know it's weird. So, so, you know, when you, when it, when it talk comes to, you know, your dance journey and stuff. So you, you found dance by going to these tournaments and, and interacting with different dancers at these different cities. Yeah. So did you go into a studio or was it kind of like, okay, I'm just going to learn with the homies on the street. Like how, how did that all evolve? Yeah, it, it wasn't a studio. I've never actually uh, taken a professional uh, class. I think maybe it took one couple of weeks, a, a semester um, and I was in college, sure. but really it was, you know, just getting with people from the street and just dancing and learning different styles. I noticed the Chicago style, they, they had a different juke than St. Louis and Memphis and, you know, different other, uh, other cities. So we kind of picked up on what they were doing, but we were more into popping and rolling. And I learned from the, the big homies that were with me and then uh, kind of took some of the other people's styles from different cities and kind of formed it to make who kind of my own style, who I was. And it, it keeps evolving, keeps growing as you learn. But, uh, but yeah, it wasn't like a professional dance class. I never really had that training. Um, so I did, I did one dance class in college and then the next semester I ended up teaching that class. So <laughs> I didn't really have much formal, formal training. It was just kind of, you know, get from the ground and you keep on moving. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that, that one of the things that is true about dances and, and I know when I was in LA, you know, talking to, to dancers, I mean, many of them didn't have studio experience, man. It was just street and, and, you know, uh, I, I, I remember the most like studio training I had, there was a studio that I was involved in, um, you know, back in, in, in the day, but it was like, we learned one piece of choreography in like six months, you know what I mean? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but my, my, my learning was like watching music videos on Yahoo and trying to, you know, trying to mimic those kinds of things. So I, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. So when you start dancing with these guys from tournaments that you're meeting all over do you know was there that moment for you that you thought oh dang like I love this so much I think I really this is what I want to do like you know you talked about yeah. going to college and all that kind of stuff but when was that moment for you where you're like no nah, dance is something or performing is something that I really want to do you know interesting enough I didn't get that until a lot later in my life when and I, I thought that I would be a professional tennis player all my all my life. Like that was my goal. That was wow. my first passion. Okay. So I put all my energy into that and danced on the side because I still enjoyed it. So and I didn't really have much rhythm, honestly. Like my sisters and brothers they could dance, but I was like not very rhythmically <laughs> put together. So I had to work very hard to get the basics. And even now like you see some of these hood dances and I gotta practice at home before I do it out in public because I'd be looking a hot mess. So uh, <laughs> what I did was I uh, I focused on tennis. You know, I played juniors, national juniors. I did college tennis, traveled there, and then I did a little bit of pro tennis. And then I went into working, trying to, you know, uh, really get money to go back on tour because it's expensive if you don't have, like, an endorsement or in sponsorships and stuff like that. So, uh, so I kept living out of their van, going from tournament to tournament. I'm like, 
I ain't really trying to get down with that, but let me go work, you know, stack my cheese to put it back into tennis. So little did I know, God was kind of working on my heart of transitioning. I didn't want to let tennis go, but I kind of felt that in order to go to the next season of my life, where God wanted me to go, I had to sever that and go full force into the next thing, which whatever that was. I quickly grew or quickly knew there was going to be dance and DJing. So I, I set aside tennis, which was tough, and God started throwing different opportunities my way to develop in dance, to develop in DJing, speaking, and things of that nature. And then I started to see it. So I got into teaching performing arts at our, at our church. So I started out with dance for a couple of years. And then next thing you know, I'm director of performing arts, where it's like dance and singing and choir and rap and acting and human video. Like it was all these things. So I was like, okay, God, I see what you're trying to do. I don't know the big picture. That's when I started getting that real, that passion, because I started seeing people's lives changed through dance. People that didn't know how to dance are learning a skill, they're developing discipline. And I start to see people's demeanor change, their disciplines change, their confidence grow. And that's when I really started to develop a passion for dance and the arts. There's, there's so, many, so many places I want to I take this conversation from that segment because I think there's so much value that we can extract out of that. So first of all, I want to go back to the fact that you believed that tennis was it for you. So that was yeah. your first passion. Tell me what that, you know, tell me what that... Uh, and journey because because it was a passion and, and you you put all into it. Obviously, there were struggles, right? You talked about you talked about some people had endorsements where maybe you didn't, right? You didn't have the extra finances. Walk through what that taught you about persistence. What that taught you about when the odds are stacked against you, how do you still keep going? That's a good question. Uh, it really started when I uh, during the juniors. Of we are in juniors competitions, it could be dance, it could be sports. Like it's very competitive, it's very expensive as well. We grew up in a middle class home. My mom, she stayed at home with all you know four of us, or my siblings, and my dad worked. We got provided for, but at the same time, we had to hustle and work to make sure that we make the best use out of what we got. So you know, with tennis, like I moved to Houston. Uh, from St. Louis to Houston for a year just to homeschool down in Houston and train for tennis. That was it. So many kids were going to, you know, Texas and Florida and California to further their career. So I was like, if I want to go to the next level, I need to move. So we moved down there, homeschool, train for tennis, you know, and we were living with different people down there, like three different people in that span of the year. And I saw my mom's strength and how she held it down because, you know, my rest of my family was up in St. Louis. We would drive back and forth to Houston, you know, a couple times a month. And, um, you know, you go through stuff when you're down there, and it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's, it's expensive, where you're spending almost a thousand dollars a tournament when you're traveling, because you got all this equipment you're buying. You're going through strings. You're going through, you know, just food. It was crazy. So then, you're experiencing honestly, uh, one of the things that helped me develop my resilience and my discipline was homeschooling, because when you're, you know, essentially teaching yourself a lot of the the curriculum, you're not going out. My coach told me the first day we were down there, like this is the only restaurant that you're going to be at. The only time you're going to go out, you're here to play tennis. You're here to focus. Wow. So I didn't have a lot of free time. It was all focused towards tennis. So that developed a discipline to grow up a little bit quicker, to not just be hanging out, but to actually get to it. So that along with 
experiencing, you know, uh, bias and racism and injustice within the, the athletic system where you have like a group of, you know, black kids, people of color that are playing tennis that are really good. And we kept noticing that everybody would get stuck in the same part of the draw, you mm. know, and we were like, we were good too. And everybody would get stuck in like the same quarter of the draw so we could beat each other out and then only one could advance. So we were like, oh, oh snap. So we started seeing different things like that. It didn't necessarily discourage us, but we were just like, okay, we have to, you know, go about it a different way. So that develops resilience, staying power, and then just the the physical training part of it as well. It's kind of like you can't be a wimp out here. You got it's, it's Houston, Texas, hot. You know, <laughs> you know, like you got to be able to do what you got to do. So that those are the things that help kind of form, you know, some of the foundational things that I have today. My faith, of course was uh, the essential part, but you have to be resilient in whatever you're doing. Nothing comes easy. And if it does, then you may not want to trust it. You want to work hard for what you have and you got to work hard to keep it and to maintain it, but it's not easy. But at, at the same time, I'm learning to fall in love with the process and the journey as opposed to just the destination. Yeah, man, boy, there's uh, yeah. Falling in love with the process and not the destination. I, I, I think that's something uh, that, every creative needs to get tattooed, written on their wall. I know that that's something that, you know, has been a, a, a learning experience for me um, as we, we, we know where we want to go and we, we, we know what we want to experience, but we want to experience a lot of times tomorrow, you know? And, uh, and, uh, and, and so also the journey is we, we forget that if you were to get what you want, that the person who you are right now is probably not built to handle it. And the journey is there to, to, to build us so that we can handle it when we get it. And so um, there, there, there's, there's so much, there's so much value in that, but I, I'm curious, you know, so you, you talked about resilience, you talked about discipline and, but you know, you're disciplined and you're staying resilient, you're staying focused because you want this one thing it's tennis right. Right. and you're, you're dancing on the side over here, having a good time. But what was it like for you when you realized that you had to, you had to shift? What, you know, what was that, what was that moment like? And what, how did, how did you mentally, emotionally, physically handle that? It sucked actually. And it, it's still, even to this day, I have to learn to let go and not to try to run back to what's familiar, but to move forward to the future that it feels unknown. It took its process. It wasn't a day of just dropping it. It was kind of like, well, let me go back to what I'm, what I'm good at, what I'm, you know, really, what I really know. Cause I thought I would be, you know, Wimbledon, US Open. I thought it would look different and be different. And it was more about me than it was about the purpose of what I was supposed to be doing. I wanted to do things, you know, to really glorify God and to, but I really wanted that success. The thing that I'm learning and, and had been learning was that success looks different to different people. Mm. And if you don't know Max. your why, you'll get to that, that destination, that place and be empty and be depressed and be unfulfilled if you don't know your why. And you see it in so many different, you know, athletes and just celebrities' lives in general. They get to this place, especially at a young age. It's kind of like, well, now what? Yeah. What do what, what what do I do now? What, what's my what's my why? So it was a tough transition, and I have to remind myself that um, I can enjoy 
my tennis or a hobby, but I don't have to obsess over it. It's tough. You got to be you got to be focused on what you're focused on if you're going to you know be successful, of course. But um, you have to learn when like when to hold them, when to fold them. You got to know when to let it go and let it burn, as Usher would say, and then <laughs> allow God to have uh, have his way to so he can actually work out some things. Because I always say I don't want to be anywhere. Don't God, God don't take me anywhere that I'm not ready to be. Like you were saying earlier about the process. Yeah, I don't want to get there premature. And my character is not ready to keep me there. Yep, yep. Because what happens is that when you get to some place and you, you get that spotlight put on you and you're not developed in the dark, what happens is that spotlight burns you. You start to, it starts to expose who you really are. And I'm like, God, let me, let me, let me stay in the dark. Let me stay on the grind. Let me stay doing my thing in, in private. So when I get to the public spot, I don't embarrass you. Yeah, that's, and that's, you know, obviously, you know, we can hear it throughout your conversation um, and just knowing a, a little bit about you. I know that your, your faith is a big part of all that. And, and so I, I really believe that there is a focal point that allows us to be able to let go of things. You talked about purpose and I, I just want to go back really quick to, you said that it was that moment, you know, you walked away from tennis and or laid it down so to speak you started dab you had already been dabbling in dance but you started being able to use it a little bit more in your church but you said one thing you said you said once i saw how it impacted a person's life it gave me the ability to have the passion for it so i go back to do you really think that as a creative it's one thing that we're, is it a one skill set that we're passionate about? Is it a, I'm really passionate about dance. I'm passionate about music. I'm passionate about DJing. Or is it the, are we passionate about what we experience when we do it? What do you think it is? I think it's, it's, it's twofold. There is an enjoyment. There's an excitement, a, um, a reward that we get when we get to do what we love to do. But it can't stay. It can't just stay there. It's sure. so one-dimensional and it's so fleeting, temporary. When I made the transition from, you know, tennis to dance, I started to see that I'm not just dancing to glorify me and to get the applause because that's cool. But the applause will stop at some point. You know what I'm saying? And and the, the fulfillment won't be there. So when I start saying, okay, how can I use my gift to serve people? Yeah, it can bring in money and, and stuff like that, but really the, the goal is to serve people and to make them laugh, to make them have a good time, to create an experience. And that's what I, I feel like God has gifted me to do is create experiences. And when you do that, it allows them to escape what they're going through, maybe temporarily at the time, allows them to have enjoyment, maybe laughter or maybe the relaxation or whatever it is. And then you're serving and filling a need. The biggest companies, the biggest organizations in the world, biggest products in the world fill a need. And if you can't do that with the, the skill set that you have, then you're missing the boat. And I've learned to use my gift to help fill needs in, in people, um, in organizations, whether it's ministry, whether it's a company, or whether it's you know a music video, whatever it is, it's kind of like, what, what am I doing with what I have? So I, I went from... What can I get from people to what can I give to people? And I think once you do that, 
then you reach a whole uh, level in your in your career and in your life and your purpose because you're you're thinking you're thinking different. You're not trying to get something. You're trying to give something. You're trying to be a blessing to somebody and something with the gift that you have. And that's what will take you a lot further than just trying to get an applause or even get a check. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really important. I think the, you know, I do know that we are as creative beings, we're created to be, uh, as John Maxwell says, we're created to be a river, not a reservoir. And when we have this get mentality, well, you know, uh, and I, I still see this now when I, when I talk to different creatives about having to do work or whatever, they're, they're always worried about what they're going to get out of it instead of um, just being able to, to allow their creative ability to be able to bless somebody. A mentor of mine once told me, Jesse, there's never anything such as free, right? When you do something for free, it comes back one way or another, as long as you do it with the right attitude. Right. So I think that's, I think that's really important. So, you know, you started dabbling in, you started, uh, now you, you transitioned out of this, out of this, uh, you know, tennis dream focus, and now you're dancing. Now you, you even mentioned DJing coming in there. So when did this start going from just a thing at church to all of a sudden now you find yourself on stages and, and in, and in stadiums? Wow. Well, it started serving at a low level, so to speak, doing it for free. No, no check, no rider, no green room. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like <laughs> you're doing it for free, for free. And honestly, especially back in the day, a lot of people didn't appreciate it back then like, as they do now. Yeah. So you maybe think of just, oh, that's, that's just dancers. That's just the DJ. That's just the, it's kind of like, and what wow, time and they, what time frame are we talking here? Just to put it in context, what year is this? I'm talking like oh four, oh three, oh four or five. Like I graduated high school in oh three, kinda of dating myself a little bit. And <laughs> uh then uh oh four oh five is when I started DJing. I just taught myself how to DJ. It's always like the vibe of a DJ. They're so cool and I started doing a lot of it for girls. Honestly, so like, <laughs> girls you know, are a motivation, man. They'll they'll they'll, they'll get you to do anything. <laughs> anything. So uh, that's kind of how it kind of started a little bit, but you know when I started motiv- transitioning into you know serving at church and stuff like that, it's like okay, this is cool, but there was no check. So I was like, okay, God, how can I do what I love to do, help people grow in what they love to do, and then now start getting paid for it yep. because there's a need, and when there's a need and you do things well and you're consistent and you're faithful and you're excellent then people see the value in paying you yep. because they see the response from other people like, Hey, they're really enjoying that. And you're adding value. That's the main thing. You, you, you're very good at this. How can I add value to somebody else? You can you don't get paid for nothing. You don't add value to and, or you won't get paid for long. So I started thinking, okay, how can I add value to people's kids? I'll start teaching dance. And once I see, the parents' response, because their kids are responding better to them, they're more disciplined, they're doing their homework, they're more focused, they're more happy, then there's a value in that. So people want to pay for that. So I started teaching. Then I started doing, uh, you know, different shows. And then, you know, people started to reach out to me, say, yo, could you choreograph this? Or could you put together a couple of dancers for this? And generally, you're underpaid because, you know, there's a value, but people don't see it yet. You have to do a lot of stuff pro bono and you have to put in the work and invest in yourself, like you were saying before. And then you start seeing the return where 
people are kind of like, you know what, I want to book you for this particular event. The first, like, I did, I've danced in front of thousands for a number of years, right? And then the the biggest event was like somebody wanted me to book me to choreograph for this ministry Joyce Meyer event, right? Is in um is in St. Louis, twenty five thousand people, and I knew somebody because mutual friend brought me in, and I was like, oh snap, okay. So now what? I've done it on a smaller scale. I just got to do it on a bigger scale. I was prepared, so I wasn't like mm. freaked out, but I was like, okay, we can do this. So had an audition, you know, put together some things, created a great experience for that first, that first time, 25,000 people excited, ready, hungry. They invited me back the next year and I DJed as well. They had a good time. They invited me back the next night and then they invited me back the next year and the next year. And then I, then I started developing a booking agent and then a writer. And then like, I started learning, you know what I'm saying? The business part of it so I could monetize it better. And that's what kind of took me to, you know, the next season of my life. Yeah. And I think, man, what there's, what you're talking about is so incredibly important. I, you're, what you're talking about right there is focus. What are you focused on? Are you focused on what you're getting? Or are you focused what you're giving? And for you, what I keep hearing you say is that I knew that no matter whether it was free or I was underpaid or I was underappreciated, if I said yes, my job was to give them the best experience possible. And I think as, as, you know, as, as creatives, um, we, you know, we know that what we do is valuable. Um, again, whether you're a singer, actor, dancer, you know, you're a DJ, maybe you're a graphic designer, you're, what you do is valuable. The world operates on, on creative energy, right? So, um, but I think, so many times people are looking at, well, I'll give you a $5 effort because that's what you're paying me. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you, I'm going to give you a $25 effort because that's what you're paying me. What you're saying is I'm going to give you a million dollar effort because yeah. that's what I want to deliver. And that's what eventually I want to see that I'm worth. But yeah. we, we cannot get what we want until we're willing to give what we were given. Right. And yeah, so I absolutely. think that's huge. I, you're exactly right. If some people, even if you discount your price, don't discount your gift. Ooh, <laughs> like, oh man, that needs you know, to make a billboard <laughs> out of that one. Make a billboard <laughs> out of that one. Say that one again. But wow. You, even if you discount your price, don't discount your gift. Man. Give the same maximum effort you would give. You were getting a big check. Even if you were doing it for free, because people remember that you never know who's in the audience. You never know who's willing to pay you for what you just did. And it's kind of like if you give a crap effort, then it's like you're not going to get any further advancement because you're trying to you're doing it for the wrong reason. Yeah. It's kind of like you got to be willing to grind. You got to be willing to invest and get taken advantage of and put in the work for free. And then eventually when people start seeing what you already know then you'll start seeing the checks come in and things of that nature. But it's kind of like a lot of people want to get paid too quick and a lot of people want to get put on too quick. And I think it's, yeah, everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to provide. I get that. You got to hustle. However, you have to take those small steps and build that value because what it is, is really free training. I always looked at it as, Oh, okay. I'm not getting paid for this, but you're allowing me to use my gift. So this is free training. 
for me. Yep. So once I do get that big opportunity, I'm not freaked out. I'm not like, you know, scrambling. I'm ready. And yep. all I got to do is add a couple more things here. Boom, boom. So I think you're exactly right. Don't ever, you know, give a, a poor effort because you're not getting paid. That's just a sign of bad character. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, or just not getting, you know, taught the right way. So I, I think you're exactly right. And, you know, and, and I think that's so important for us to realize is that we're not defined by just our abilities, right? Our creative, you know, yeah. superpower, our creative gift. We're defined by who we are as a human being. And, and I, I think that we often forget, you know, it even comes down to, it even comes down to, you know, people showing up for meetings or not showing up for yep. meetings or, you know, uh, getting this, getting to a point in their career where they're like, well, I've kind of made it here. So now I'll show up if I want to. Eventually right. that starts showing up in other areas and starts making an impact in your, in your life and other areas. But, you know, I know that, you know, uh, it's it, one of the things I always ask in this show, because I think too often we can hear a success story and we're getting a, you know, a half hour success story or we're getting a, for you, you know, you're in your thirties. So getting, getting that many years boiled down into a 30 minute conversation, it sounds like you had a gravy train, right? But <laughs> where, when, when was the, go back to a moment where you sat there, like everybody, everybody has this moment, I think, where they sat there and said, is this, am I really cut out for this? Is this mm -hmm. really where I need to be? What was that moment for you? Or what was one of those moments? Because some, if you're like me, we have multiple, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I I was discouraged one time. Uh, well, I'll tell you a couple. I was discouraged one time when I pretty much kind of like got hustled, got taken advantage of. Where, you know, I I'm always generally known as the nice guy. You know, I'll I'll, I'll do it for free. Like people generally know, like. I would love to get paid for it and I'll have my, my business together, of course, but I'm doing it for the love as well. So and I did this new year's event. I was actually DJing and did the whole event. It was a success. People paid to get in. Woo, woo, woo. And the guy I have the agreement with, he said, you know, I didn't have my business together together where he said, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. I got you. And I didn't have anything in writing, just did it off some strength and, came to the end of the night, came to the after party of the event. And I'm like kind of hanging around waiting to get paid. And uh, eventually I had to ask him like, Hey, you know, I want to settle up with you because this that, and the other. And uh, he's like, man, you know, we really, really didn't make a profit. And, da, 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 da. and he kind of gave me the okie doke and a runaround. And I just felt like, first I was upset, but then I just felt like so bad. Like, bruh, like how, how you gonna play me? Like I gave my best. I, I really helped make the event because the DJ was the central part of the event and then it got taken advantage of. And then it, you kind of go to that the point where you kind of want to quit. It's kind of like, man, forget this. you know what I mean? And it's like, that was one, that was one of the things, another kind of a, I would call it a aha moment. Like Oprah would say was I was at this event, this big event and uh, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people there. And I didn't handle my business as well as I should have because I just didn't know sometimes when you're in a one bubble you you give people the benefit of the doubt <laughs> yep. and you you don't handle your business correctly because you think they'll take care of it and you have to so 
I, I uh, didn't got my eyes crossed all my T's, got to the event. Everybody had, you know, dressing rooms, green rooms, and was taken care of. And I got there with my wife. She was pregnant at the time. All right. No, she was, she was, um, uh, we just had a baby and she was still, you know, pumping and stuff like that, breast milk, whatever. So we needed a dressing room. We didn't have one. I'm changing in the back of the, of the production, like locker room. And I'm a performer, you know, I'm like a central part of the whole thing. And I didn't have like any of the amenities or anything like that. And it kind of took me back to what am I doing it for and why am I doing it? And then it took me to, I need to, I need to handle my business correctly, you know? And it was a frustrating point where it's kind of like, man, God, like I, I thought that, I thought that you would take care of me, but God's like, yeah, you, I'll take care of you, but you got to take care of your business yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, so those are some of the low points. I, I, thankfully I've been, you know, focused on the serving part of it. So I haven't had too many parts, too many times where I just wanted to quit. There's a lot of moments where you're trying to figure out the why and, 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 and then the what we didn't grow up in a, a YouTube generation. Right. Right. We grew up where your only legit dancer, if you are dancing behind a yeah. major artist, you're yep. on a tour and yep. you're doing commercials, you're doing movies, and that was the, the gig. And then you see YouTubers coming up and people that are like dancing on tour, like the, they're hating on YouTubers. They're like, man, these cats are whack. You can only dance for a minute and 30 seconds and da 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 da. They're getting hated on. Then they shift because I'm thinking, like, man, I, I, I don't live in Cali. You know, I don't live in New York. I live in St. Louis. I don't have access to dance behind a Bieber or a Timberlake or whomever, right? So you start thinking like, should I choose something else? Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what to do because I can't be there where the auditions are. So then the YouTube generation moves forward. And then now all the dancers that were dancing on tour can't really, or there's not that many opportunities. So now they're trying to do YouTube and they're behind. So it's kind of like God will allow you to maybe miss out on something for a season but that doesn't mean you just sit back don't let your you know they say don't let your setback cause you to sit back you need to set yourself up for your comeback so it's like I started working on YouTube I started working on some social media stuff so I have a presence there and that's where this world is right now so I'm I'm, I'm, I'm curious on that because one of the things that um, I see happen is you know you have failure and you have failure and you have failure and I, I'm sure you have a, a, you know, a ton of different stories about where you had, you know, your tough learning lessons. I'm curious, yeah. how do you, how do you maintain the, I'm going to learn a lesson out of this instead of getting bitter? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that where they, they, they get taken advantage of so many times or things don't work out the way that they wanted to. And they start to get a little bitter and, and, and throw it all away because of the bitterness. How do you, what, what do you, what do you think is important for people to be able to keep that mindset? Like I'm going to take this as something that happened for me instead of to me. So they don't get bitter. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the thing, don't get bitter, get better. And it's just one, you know, letter differences and it's I, and, and I always look at myself and say, okay, this situation sucked, but what could I have done differently to maybe a, a, a avoid getting this situation again? What could I have done to prepare differently? What don't I know that allowed me to be exposed out here 
and how can I change that? Because I can't change people. I can't change even the circumstances. So it's taking responsibility for what you can change and what you can do. And I, I know you, you know, you're very well versed in that where it's kind of like, don't think about what you can change and focus on that. Focus on what you can change. And I know John Maxwell talks about when you tell someone leadership is taking responsibility, you know, and a lot of people don't do that. They blame and point the finger. It's kind of like, okay, I looked at it as this is a learning lesson. It hurts. It stings. Sucks. But how can I do it better next time so I don't, so I can insulate myself a little bit and I don't get uh, just bitter and just want to quit. So I make adjustments. I, I read. I watch videos, I watch behind the scene things so I can figure out what it takes to make the finished product as opposed to just trying to be comfortable in the in the finished product. I'm like, what can I do to make this recipe work for me? I think when you do that, you approach it differently and you're not really focused on anybody else as much as you are the growing process yourself. Uh, so, so now, you know, we, we fast forward a little bit. You're, you know, you've got your own show uh on on the radio which is yeah. give a little plug there so which is where can they find you on that yeah i'm on um um it's a radio station called boost radio and um there's an app and i'm on a station in st louis and we we're you know around the world and a lot of people listen from uh, different countries and uh you know the base is in st louis and i'm on a, another show in houston called engine and uh pop hip-hop uh music's all positive clean stuff and I've been DJing for about six and a half years now so um, it's, it's, it was a transition going from where I was working to this but it was a great leap of faith and I've learned a lot so I'm thankful yeah and so you're you're, you're DJing on, on 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 big shows you're 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 doing big shows you're creative directing on on several things and so I mean you've gone through this journey that has taught you a lot and so one of the things that one of the questions that I always like to ask my guests is, is if you had a, if you, if you were sitting one-on-one -on -one with a creative right now, that was maybe a little frustrated, they're a little down and out. They, they feel like maybe they missed their chance. They missed their moment. Maybe their time is done. What would you say to them in a message of hope that allows them to believe that it's not done and that they can get back on the horse and get after it again? Well, first of all, I would say it's it's not over. It's not done. Uh, this is actually just the beginning. Um, you know, all the things that you've done up until this point for preparation. Uh, and you're, I always say proper preparation prevents poor performance. And all these things were just opportunities for you to prepare to have a phenomenal performance. And that performance can last however long it needs to last. But um, you're just at the beginning of your journey. The cool thing is that with technology, um, it's really given, given everybody 10 more years of life, so to speak, or even 15 to 20, because where you would be done in one industry, whether it's athletics, you know, where you have, you know, a five to six year, uh, that's a long window, but five to six year window for sports, maybe two to three, been on football, for dance, sometimes you max out when you get to your 30s, and then you have this whole life ahead of you. What do you do now? What do you do when you reach the heights of your profession, and then you're still young? or you reach the lows of your profession, you're still young, you have to do the same thing. You have to start over. Yeah. So you have to adjust, you have to be malleable, you have to keep learning and keep growing. If you stop learning, you die. You have to keep growing. And if you don't, 
then that's when you start to lose your passion. That's when you start to give up and throw in the towel while somebody else is working hard and it's going to take the spot that you're in. So my, my thing is, is that use technology to your advantage. Use this day and age and the, and the resources that we have to reinvent yourself, to remarket yourself. Everybody has to do that. Every company has to remarket and reinvent themselves. Every artist has to do it. Just for, uh, Timberlake, for example, or Usher or whomever, like, when you have a long career like they've had since they were like, you know, 14, 13 or younger yep. to now when they're in their 30s, late 30s, they've had to reinvent themselves six, seven, eight times. Every yeah. time an album comes out, you have yep. a new look, you have a new sound, you have new dancers, new choreo, new everything. Yep. And they go through the same thing that we're going through right now where they're like, man, I'm done. I'm washed up. Nobody likes it anymore. You know, they go through the exact same thing but then you have to figure out okay what are they doing to reinvent themselves they're working hard at their craft they're teaming up with different creatives and young people that can take their gift they can take their influence they can uh the you can use the somebody somebody younger than you you can use their their mindset and team it together to make something great so first of all keep working second of all uh get some people that are like-minded around you show me your friends i'll show you your future you know you're really who the culmination of the five people that are around you, your five friends, right? Yeah. We can go into leadership and you're, you're the best at that. And, you know, you can look at who, who's doing something that's better than I'm doing. Yep. Am I close to them? How am I learning from them? And if you're the coolest, smartest, best person in the room, you got to get out of that room and get, <laughs> get into somebody that can help teach you something, get a mentor. And when you start doing those little things, then you can start seeing the growth, but it takes consistency. It takes a lot of tears. Once you know more than your what, you start to begin to know your why. That's going to take you a lot further than your what can, because what happens if you can't do what you do anymore? Right. Right. What do you do? Yep. You got to know your why. You still, you know, so little things like that would definitely help get, get people out of that rut. Yeah, man. Well, listen, man, I, I, I just appreciate you taking some time and, and dropping some bombs. There was some, there was some great stuff in here, man. Um, and, and just, just going forward, man, how can people find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah. Um, uh, my company, one goal, global.com. Uh, uh, you can uh, check that out. Uh, there's merch there and, and stuff like that. And one goal is all about, you know, my goals for souls, my goals for people, my goals to influence lives. And you have to find out what your one goal is. So, I would love for you to join the movement at onegoalglobal.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at mealytime. Can I say mealytime? So it's <laughs> a, so it's at n e a l l y t i m e. Uh, Facebook, of course, Neil Hobson. Uh, TikTok at mealytime as well. And uh, you can follow along with the journey and uh, DM me, email me uh, if you have any questions, concerns, any way I can help serve you and uh, in your purpose. Yeah, and this is what I do know about Neil is that when he says he he's all about people and he's all about impact and, and helping people, uh, he will be the guy that answers your DMs. He will be the guy that answers yeah. your email and, and your Facebook messages. So uh, make sure and take him up on that because he's a wealth of knowledge and he definitely will be able to help you out. And, and what we'll do, Neil, is we'll we'll make sure and put a, a link to your uh, company in the show notes along with the uh, along with your uh, social media handles. So once again, man, just really appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for jamming out with me on this uh, on this episode of this podcast. Appreciate you. Jesse, thank you. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. 
Here, we turn your passion into profit. Follow us on Facebook and stay tuned for another episode of the My Creative District podcast.